point. We're living in a, you know, a modern age of uh, the new psychedelic renaissance. And I thought, this is, this is not real. This is, uh, uh, my gosh, I'm on the radio. People hear me. How we give to others and affect others' lives and uh, what we do with it is important. Don't focus on the rest of the world, just focus on your own life. And facts can't deal with emotions. It's, it's like apples and oranges. From his age and I'm age, I think we all, all, all be called the wood age. You're not picking a president, you're actually <laughs> picking a roommate. Because you don't know what their story is. You don't know what pain they're dealing with. Always part of me wanted an audience. It's naive to think that human beings have stopped evolving. Uh, the people are purple. The, the world is a very rich place if you start exploring. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the podcast Point Counterpoint, a Counterpoint Media production. I'm your host, Chris Wright. Today, I've brought on Oli Anderson uh, on the show, and you can introduce yourself. Uh, hi, Chris, and everyone else. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, the short version is my name is Ollie Anderson. I'm from the UK. I live in a place called uh, Bradford, which is in Yorkshire. Um, I'm an author and I'm a coach. Most of my work is just about this concept that I call realness, which ultimately boils down to accepting as much as we can about reality. So the natural laws that apply to us all, like the law of cause and effects, uh, things like that. And ultimately, I help people to apply that in life and business. So I do life coaching and business coaching. Uh, they're both contextual, depending on where people are trying to get. Um, but yeah, that's the short version. Okay. And would you would you mind going into a little bit about your background? What got what got you interested in this realness and, and uh, your your podcasting, your your authorship? Yeah. So basically, I've been coaching full time for about five years. Before I was coaching, coaching, I was basically working in mental health for a long time. Um, I was doing like counseling stuff. And I also worked with a kind of mental health charity overseeing their services. So like all the services they put together to help people to kind of deal with their stuff, anxiety and depression and other things that people have. Um, eventually I quit that because I wanted to go and do my own thing. And I went to Italy for a while. I was working on a project in uh, a place called Trento in Italy. I was doing some stuff with service design. Luckily for me, these two things, the mental health thing and the design thing, were aligned with my main interests, which are philosophy, ultimately, psychology, and design and systems thinking. They're the main topics of my book and of my main book, which is called Personal Revolutions, The Short Course of Realness. Uh, ultimately, when I wrote that book, what I wanted to do was to find something that anybody could pick up and it would apply to their lives. It would have practical application. I know that sounds really pretentious, but ultimately, based on what I'd seen in my own life and the things that had helped me with my own mental health stuff, I realized that we could combine what works in mental health with what works in design, we can put it together and we can design our lives. So the way that this book works is it basically has 166 chapters or revolutions, as I call them, where each one is a way of reframing the way that we look at life. So for example, number two in the book is about activity slash passivity. In general, if you can reframe the way that you see yourself, 
so that you're leaning more towards being active than passive, then you're going to get better results because you're aligned with the way that reality actually works. Because if you're taking action, inspired action, you're not just doing things for the sake of it, then you're going to be aligned with the law of cause and effect, which means that if you act as a certain cause because you've been strategic with the actions that you're taking, then you're going to get the effects of whatever results it is that you're trying to get. Obviously, there are other laws in life that you have to accept. So for example, you're not always going to get what you want, but in general, you're going to increase the odds of getting what you want by aligning with reality. So the way that I personally learned about the realness stuff is I had some uh, health issues. So when I was about 25, I was living in Japan. I was working for a website. I was a copywriter for like a fashion company thing. And uh, one day I got really sick. I thought I had flu, but ultimately to cut a long story short, it turned out I had kidney failure. So I had to come back to the United Kingdom to have a kidney transplant because in Japan, they do do kidney transplants, but only between family members. It's quite a conservative country. But anyway, came back to the UK, and ultimately, I had to rebuild my life. Um, in my mind, I still had this self-image that I was this kind of cool guy living in Tokyo and doing all this amazing stuff that I was doing over there. But actually, my self-image was out of date because the reality that I found myself in was totally different. I was living with my parents for a bit, which kind of sucked at the time, even though my parents were amazing. I uh, got a crappy job. It was like the first job that I could find because I had a scarcity mindset at the time. It was ultimately a really terrible time in my life. But the reason it was so bad was because I was making it worse by not accepting the reality of my situation. And all I mean by that is, is what I said, like my self-image was out of date with the situation, the current reality that I found myself in. About a year or two after that, I thought things were going to get better when I got a transplant, but I had a kidney transplant and it went wrong. So what happened there was the transplant, they connected to your inner thigh. It just burst and I ended up in a coma and loads of blood transfusions. Like my body was just screwed. And um, again, I had to go through this process of rebuilding. And in that process of rebuilding, I was making it really hard for myself at first because I was... I was hiding, I was trying to hide from the situation because I didn't want to face, you know, my own mortality, the fact that I was going to be dead one day. I didn't want to face that it was going to be hard to like rebuild. I didn't want to face blah, 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 blah. And again, the thing that was stopping me from facing reality and finding a solid foundation to build on was my identity, the way that I wanted to see myself. And so eventually when I started to wake up and realized that, okay, I need to take personal responsibility and stop being a victim. I need to start taking actions instead of just being passive and waiting for life to resolve itself. I started to realize that the situation I found myself in with you know, having this illness and being close to death and all this kind of stuff, it was the exact same situation that every single human being on the planet is in, but the volume had been turned up. And because the volume had been turned up, it was actually really easy for me to just kind of see what, life was when you purify it down to the essence and then you learn to work with it and so that was a very long-winded answer but basically i ended up here living a life that i absolutely love and like where i've got my own business and everything's going amazing and like i'm really healthy i do yoga every day and all this kind of stuff i ended up 
getting where I wanted to be by kind of going through this weird circuitous path where I just have to learn to tell the difference between what's real and what's not real. And every time I choose the real stuff, it just has the consequence of compounding and leading to things getting better. And it's not because of any mystical kind of bullshit reasons. It's just a simple fact. If you embrace reality, that where else are you going to get results? Like the, if you're not getting results in life, you're avoiding reality or you're not aligned with it in the way that you need to be. And the only thing that stops us is our mindset. And so now I use all that stuff in my coaching practice to help people kind of, you know, stop holding themselves back, stop hesitating, stop being frustrated or whatever it is. Yeah, would, you say, would you say that there, there's one one moment of, in, in particular that, that really started this transformation? Um, like once everything started going down, was there what, some point where you realized I have to start embracing reality? Or was this more of a slow process? No, I mean, everything is gradual. You know, everything kind of happens and builds in increments in all of our lives. But I think eventually you reach a point where all you can do is stop resisting. Like it's, it's kind of a crunch point. You realize that, you know, if you want things to change, then you have to take your life into your own hands. And I think a lot of people, they resist that initially because it boils down to taking responsibility, personal responsibility. And we don't want to take responsibility initially because it makes it feel like we're alone. It makes it seem like, you know, all of the things that have already happened to us are kind of our fault, the way to blame for what's happened. But actually, part of this journey is realizing that all of those things are just judgments. Like you judge yourself as being good, you judge yourself as being bad. You know, there's this whole filter that we, we put between ourselves and life of duality. And when you get to this crunch point that I'm talking about, you kind of transcend that. Like you see that, you know, the judgments don't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a bad person or a good person, if you're winning or you're losing. It just gets to that level where you're like, right, I just have to do something different. And a lot of people that, you know, come to me for coaching and stuff like that, that's kind of where they found themselves. It doesn't always have to be a dramatic thing. Like, you don't have to have a, like a health condition or, you know, whatever. But in some way, shape or form, you'll get to that point where you're just like, right, I can't do this anymore. I have to change something. And when you reach that point, you find rock bottom and you basically realize before you hit that point, there'll be a process or a period where you're trying to do anything to avoid hitting rock bottom. And then something will happen where you basically you hit rock bottom and in hitting it, you realize that it's not as bad as you thought. <laughs> it's actually a solid foundation. And all of these thoughts, all these things that you were doing to try and avoid reaching this place, that was just your fear. And so I guess what I'm saying is when you hit that point, it's kind of bittersweet because you realize it's up to you to change things, but that's actually very liberating and freeing. But you also realize 
that all the things you're afraid of were just in your head anyway. And so when you've gone through that kind of clearing process, it's ultimately just about changing your vision. And then, I, as I would say, moving towards something real rather than running around like a headless chicken and trying to distract yourself from getting to that place. I like that quote, quote you said where you, you, you mentioned that you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of scary to because it you feel it feels like you're going to be completely alone, but then you th mm. then you have to think to, your, to yourself, it might feel like like I'm alone in this case. However, th at a practical level, it, things weren't working before, so obviously something has to change. And even though it might be it, it could be a bit mm. scary to get to get go outside that comfort zone, but ultimately that's where the growth happens. That's where you yeah. get a growth mindset. Yeah, like in, in coaching, I always say there's like. There's three different levels. So there's the comfort zone, the stretch zone, and the panic zone. Ideally, you want to be in the stretch zone. But it's ultimately, if you stay in the comfort zone, what's really keeping you there is your current identity. So for me, it all comes down to the way that you need to see yourself because of your own emotional stuff. So the, the little story that I always give for the average human being is, you know, we're born... And we kind of whole and we're free and spontaneous. We don't judge ourselves. But then something happens in our childhood or in our teenage years where we start to judge ourselves and become ashamed to some extent of certain real qualities or real parts or real goals and ambitions and all that kind of stuff. And when we become ashamed, we basically send those parts of ourselves into hiding. And because we've disowned them, that just ends up creating, you know, what Carl Jung called the shadow self. And in order to keep the shadow self at bay, we create this false identity that I keep talking about, which is called the ego for simplicity. And we go through life, there's a constant battle between those two things, between the identity we picked up to hide from ourselves and all of this real stuff that's trying to come up from the surface. And so when people are stuck in their comfort zones, ultimately what's happening is they're trying to keep themselves in this box that they've become identified with and accustomed to so that they they don't have to grow back into who they really are. And if they go too far, that's when they end up in this third stage of what about the panic zone. That just means you're doing things that you're not ready for yet. So you might say yourself a really, really massive goal, which is good, but then when you start moving towards it, you really start to panic. You don't feel good. It's bringing up your fears to an extent that you're not ready to, to face them. But if you get into the stretch zone, which is the sweet spot, that's when, yeah, you're pushing the boundaries of your ego, this identity that we we're on about, but it feels good. And the reason it feels good is because you're creating a kind of creative tension. And this tension between where you are now, where you want to be, and by stretching yourself, you're taking the actions that are just a little bit beyond the boundaries of the, the ego, ultimately. And by going just far enough, that allows you to expand. And because the way that you get into this place of expansion is by taking actions, well, you start getting results and evidence that this limited view of yourself is not real anyway. And so it all becomes like one kind of system, but it all leads to the same place, which is just more connection to the real version of you. And allowing these hidden parts to come back to the surface. So, what would you say is your is your main uh, driving force in your life? What what pushes you forward? 
Well, I don't want to pretend I'm like some, uh, like a guru or some of that stupid nonsense. Like, I don't believe in any, you know, we don't need gurus. We need to listen to ourselves. And so there's two things that drive me. One, just to be honest, is probably my own ego stuff. Like, we can't get rid of the ego. We all have some way that we're currently identifying based on what we're willing to face in, in ourselves and life. And so for me, you know, I want the things that we all want. I want to be more successful. I want to, you know, feel like I'm embodying, like, my potential and my capacity to be human and all that kind of stuff. But I think in relation to sharing this stuff, I have just found that I suppose there's two things. One, this stuff works. Like I've seen it with my coaching clients and the way that I've applied it in my own life. If you can get into this process of growing real, your life will be better. And it's actually very simple because it's just about unlearning a lot of the things that you've picked up, social conditioning and so on and so forth. Unlearning a lot of the stuff that's just causing you to distort and to resist your relationship with reality. And so I'm driven to share it because it just helps people. Like, I know that's not, you know, I'm so virtuous, look at me, but like, it just helps people. And it kind of annoys me or saddens me even that there are so many people in the world running around, distracting themselves, being frustrated, living lives that they don't want to live unnecessarily. Like there's a lot of tension and stress in people's lives that doesn't need to be there. They're just adding it to their own experience because of the way that they're identifying. So that is one. The other reason I'm driven by this stuff or driven in general is kind of what I just said. So like, I like to keep pushing myself to get in that stretch zone because when I get into the stretch zone, it allows me to grow so I can be, you know, I can go deeper into wholeness or realness in my own life, which is always a good thing. But by doing that, it allows me to to find, I guess, more of what I have to give. And I actually believe, like, the more you have, the more, I'm one of those guys, I guess, the more you give, the more you're open, you can receive from life as well. Because if you get, get this process, go through this process of getting in tune with your real self, you'll see, you know, you have something in you that the world is going to value. And so if you can get to that point and you can share it, then obviously life is going to be better. So I don't know if I answered the question, but something to do with all that no no that makes that makes a lot of sense you know it's it's you know it's it's very important to uh you know for people to have you know that purpose that goal that that yeah. meaning that they're that they're driving for otherwise they're just aimless and need to have something specific yeah. that they're shooting towards yeah like that's so important that you said that actually like ultimately most of this stuff i'm talking about it comes back to purpose now a lot of the time we think we have a purpose, but it's actually driven by the ego. And so we're chasing things that we think we want, but actually we're chasing them so we don't have to grow, we don't have to change. It's a distraction. So the, you know, the famous example of that is we might think that you know, one day we need to buy a Lamborghini or something so we can feel like we finally made it. Lamborghinis are really cool, I like them. But if you think it's gonna fill the void inside yourself, well, it's not going to, is it? So the 
that's an ego-driven purpose, I would say. If it's a form of compensation for the, the shame and all the stuff that you're trying to hide from, a real purpose, it does exactly what we were just talking about a few minutes ago. If a real purpose makes you more real, but it also allows you to connect to the world on a deeper level, because a real purpose is not just about independence. My idea of who I am as an individual, that's ego, the illusion of separation. A real purpose is about interdependence. And so for me to chase a real purpose, it means I'm going to have to dig inside myself, get into the stretch zone, allow whatever gifts and qualities that I have to offer the world that I've been hiding to come to the surface and then to literally share them with other people and to do something with it. So, you know, that sounds complicated maybe it doesn't have to be if you create if i write a book and it's all about me well no one's you know i mean it's, it's i've written it in an ego-driven way to make myself look good or whatever that is not going to serve anybody so i wouldn't say that's my real purpose by writing a book like that i'm just reinforcing my own you know bullshit part of my french i don't know if you can use that language um but if i write a book where okay i'm digging inside myself i'm getting into stretch zone and I'm bringing up some stuff about truly being a human being that other people can read and it's going to make them more human as well. That's a real, a real purpose that I've followed because it's about interdependence. It's the same way if you start a business. A business can either be a distraction because you're trying to prove something to the world so you can, you know, please mommy and daddy or whatever. Or it can be something that's going to make you more real and it's going to provide real value to the world. And so a real purpose ultimately means it's aligned with your true values, your true intentions. You keep growing as you move towards it. And then you give something to the world that allows other people to be real as well. And if you can design a purpose for yourself like that, then I have found in my life, and I've seen in other people's lives now, it solves a lot of the problems that we think we have. A lot of anxiety and depression I've found. You know, people say that, you know, we're, we're having a mental health pandemic or ep epidemic or and, you know, there's more anxiety in the world than ever before. There's more depression in the world than ever before. You can say, yeah, okay, maybe it's a chemical imbalance and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of it is exactly what we just said. It goes down to people being disconnected from a sense of purpose. And that's purely because when you don't have a purpose, your self-image is out of sync with reality. So you're constantly putting something false out there. Reality keeps giving you feedback that what you're doing is, is not working. That makes you anxious. And obviously, because you don't want to face the emotional stuff, you end up clinging to it, which exacerbates the problem. But also, if you don't have a purpose, you're not moving forward. You're not expanding. You're not in that stretch zone. And so that's when you end up kind of feeling depressed because you just, you, you stagnate. And so obviously, it's not a panacea. But a lot of the time, if we're feeling anxious and we're feeling depressed, we can start designing something that is aligned with actually who we are, who we want to be. And then we start taking the actions and 99% of the time, you'll start to feel better. Not like that. You have to take the action. Again, it always comes back to action. But once you start taking action, you start getting results. That is evidence that all this stuff you've been telling yourself about not being good enough and whatever, it's, it's not true because the results kind of speak for themselves. Um, so yeah, sorry, I'm kind of rambling at you a little bit. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, yeah, it's, it's important that, that w when you choose that, that purpose, it needs to be, you need to choose it with intention, you know, you need to have some, some, some uh, concrete goals. So, you, you know, you need to be able to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Well, I'm doing it to do this. You, get, you, you go down the chain of it, 
And, you know, basically the farther, it needs to be a goal outside of yourself that somehow is enduring, somehow is, uh, you know, lasting. Uh, yeah. You need to be able to ask the questions, why am I doing this? Well, I'm doing it to be, so just keep at, you know, analytically uh, pondering upon mm. what, yeah. why you're doing it. Yeah. So it's that whole thing, isn't it? Start with why, but ultimately, uh, I always talk about a three-step process. Awareness, acceptance, and then the action part. If you dive straight into the action without raising awareness or cultivating acceptance of yourself and life first, then the actions that you're going to take, are they're going to be unconsciously driven. So you, what you just said is 100% true. A lot of people, they're out there chasing things that they think they want based on opinions that they think they have, but they've never stopped and they've never asked themselves, right, why am I chasing this? And like, exactly. if you dig into it, yeah, maybe it's, you know, mommy and daddy told you to do it, or you think, you know, you, you don't, you, you don't believe in possibility and opportunity. So you're just taking the first thing that comes along, whatever it is. And it's only when you stop and you raise awareness of who you really are and what you really want, that you can do what you just said, which is bang on. You can start being strategic, which means that you design with intention. And that's why I say awareness, acceptance, and action. Awareness, in this case, about purpose, is awareness of your true values. What do you truly value? Not the values you picked up from the world, but your real values. So value, you know, like creativity, truth, whatever. True intentions. What are the true, true goals that you've had? So I, I was talking earlier about how, you know, the shadow stuff that we send down into the, the subconscious mind. A lot of the time... You know, that might be qualities, it might be emotions. So we might send our anger down there or whatever it is, but we send our goals down there as well. And so once you pause and reflect and start to be strategic in the way that you're talking about, you do a little bit of inner work, you'll see, okay, I am currently chasing a purpose that has nothing to do with creativity, which is one of my core values. So I need to shift that. I need to make a shift into a different process where I'm choosing goals around my values, but you'll also see, okay, wow, I've got this, this intention that, that I've been trying to avoid. I've been ignoring because of the, you know, I'm bullshitting myself, telling myself it's not possible or that whatever. And actually that intention is not going anywhere. And so when you realize that you can start to move towards the things you really want. And the final point there, you might uncover some values and some goals, Maybe the goals that you uncover are totally improbable right now, or you need to do more work to get there. So say, let's I don't know. Let's say, for example, you want to make a I don't know a big Hollywood production or something. Just as an example, what you need to do if you're not ready for it is to go back to the values thing. You say, right, these values are the real thing, and there are myriad ways for these values to be expressed. And so, if if the goals that you think you have, I uh, unrealistic right now because you need to do a bit more work you need to get in that stretch zone and so on and so forth there's always something you can do right now around your values and so if you translate your values into behaviors and you start doing that day by day with consistency discipline and focus you can not change your life purely because of the law of cause and effect and the way that things compound on themselves so for example say you value creativity you decide you want to write a book you write 100 words a day by the end of the week you've got 700 words you can probably write a book like you need to. And it's just about understanding what you're doing exactly like you said 
and then de designing a process to take you where you want to go. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, setting those those small goals for yourself uh, that eventually end up to being larger goals. Okay. Um, and it, it's, the, the value thing is also very important. You know, those values need, need to be the kind of the bedrock for for any for any growth that you do. Is you you eventually have to fall back on that, and that's going to be your your main the cornerstone. Mm. Yeah. What would you, yeah. you say is 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 one of your your main influences uh, on your current thought? It could be just general writers, philosophers, anyone. Um. So I I really like Stoicism. Um, Marcus Aurelius, the Pinkstones, those guys. Um, a philosopher that I really love is. Schopenhauer, Arthur Schopenhauer. The reason I like Schopenhauer so much, he's got a reputation as being really pessimistic, which he is. But actually, I would argue he isn't really pessimistic as much as he's pointing out things that seem depressing. So, for example, the famous quote by Schopenhauer, he says, life is a pendulum that swings between pain and boredom. And Okay, yeah, that does sound very pessimistic. Like, let's not fool ourselves. But actually, if you can accept that that is something that can happen in life, that pendulum, if you're not being active, then actually it just shows you, I found, reading all this work, that Schopenhauer is ultimately showing you how life can be if you don't take it into your own hands. And he's showing you as well, obviously, like, we're all going to die one day and all that kind of stuff. But by accepting that stuff, it's basically a shortcut to finding a solid foundation on which to build your life. So one thing I always talk about is, is the death thing. Death is not depressing. Like if you accept death, you realize that your time, your energy and attention are all really valuable. And then you start making better choices about what to do. So shopping out is really good. Um, I love yoga, like just yoga philosophy in general. Yoga as a practice is something that's just really, really helps me. Like it helps me to understand that a lot of these ideas I talk about, which sound a bit theoretical, maybe. Is this uh, you said, or? Oh no, well, Carl Jung, I, I really like, but actually, what I said, sorry, is, is yoga. Just oh. yoga. Yeah. So, yoga, I do it every day, and it's just taught me so much about the process of growing real. And there's two reasons. One, let's say you're trying to learn a really like a difficult yoga pose. So at the minute, actually, I'm in my life, I'm trying to learn handstands. It's something that I've been trying to do for ages. And this year, I said, right, I am doing handstands three times a week at least until I can do them. And that's it. And by by putting yourself in a situation to learn something like that, which you can't really do. You're instantly getting that stretch zone that we were talking about. It's not the panic zone, because I'm not scared of the handstand or falling over anything. It's not the comfort zone, because I definitely couldn't do it. Like, my handstands are getting good, because I've been consistent with it. It's the stretch zone. But the thing is, when you get in that stretch zone with a handstand or whatever it is in your life, you have to face yourself. So there's been so many times where I've been trying to do these handstands, I've been falling on my ass. I've been, like, 
getting scared to hold it in case I fall over. I've been judging myself when I, you know, don't get the results that I want straight away. And by giving yourself something like that to keep chipping away at, it makes you more real. So there's a, a saying in, in yoga, they say, take your yoga off the mat. So one reason I love yoga is because it shows you, or showed me, that this stuff is practical. It's very practical because ultimately, you know, by doing yoga, I'm practicing all the stuff I'm talking about. It's ultimately, this is another saying I really like, that practice is the most advanced form of theory. And so with yoga, you literally, it's you against gravity, basically. It's you against yourself. It's a testing ground for being real. So that's one reason I like it. But the other reason I, I love yoga and I found it really uh, inspirational with all these things I talk about is if you do a, a good yoga session, at the end of it, you'll be normally in yoga. I don't know if you do it like you finish the session like in corpse pose, which is just a fancy way of saying that you lie down on your back like a, a dead body. But because you've done all this work with your body and like you know you've basically conditioned your mind to focus on on the pose and all this stuff. At the end of the session, you get this feeling which I call a feeling of dissolution. Like I got that from uh, Brian Kest, who's a famous yoga teacher. That's how I described it at the end of his uh, sessions. I had him on my podcast. He was really good. But anyway, um, at the end of the session, you kind of dissolve. And what happens when you dissolve is your identity, it kind of just disappears for a while. And it, you kind of, you just experience wholeness. That's the only way I can describe it. You experience wholeness. All the fragments that make up our identity kind of slip away just temporarily. And that obviously creeps back in once you get up again and start going about your life. But like by experiencing those two things, so getting in the stretch zone, the bridge version, and feeling that dissolution, it's helped me to understand that all this stuff I'm talking about is just about raising awareness of how reality works and then accepting it so you can act with it. And, and so yoga is a massive insp inspiration. Stoicism, Carl Jung, obviously, like you said, I love Carl Jung's work. All that stuff with uh, the shadow self and ultimately interdependence and just the process of becoming actualized or individualized, as you call it, and or individuated, sorry. Um, that process is something that applies to all of us. I also like, um, like I'm not religious, but I, I think a lot of religions, religious texts are saying the same thing. So ultimately what I found them to be saying is let go. <laughs> Basically that's, they're all saying that let go. And the reason I like to say this multidisciplinary approach is because I believe we're all dealing with the same reality. Like reality is the same for all of us. The underlying structure of our lives is the same for all of us. But the thing that's different is the interpretations that we have about what life is based on our own stuff. And then of course, the scenery that we all have to traverse from you know, a state of fragmentation, as I call it, to so a state of wholeness. But the, all of these authors that I'm talking about, 
we're all talking about the same thing. Like we're all talking about life. But what I'm personally interested in is the universal themes because the universal stuff is the real stuff. And as far as I'm concerned, that's what we need to be aligned with. And so, you know, Marcus Aurelius, who's writing 2000 years ago, whatever it was, you know, the Bible, same thing. The truth in these texts is applicable to anybody at any time because we haven't changed that much. We work like technology and stuff's changed around us. But what it means to be human and the way that we can successfully navigate life is, is the same principles for all of us always. That's why. Okay, so what you just said reminded me of uh, if, if you look at the text of the Our Father, it says, uh, um, uh, it, th that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's, it's, it kind of goes to the idea of, of letting go of, you know, the, the, the destruction of the ego and just the, the acceptance of, uh, you know, acceptance of, uh, you know, the divine will, the accepting what comes. Yeah. 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 I think, um, you know, whether you're religious or you're not religious, whether you're spiritual or you're not spiritual, like we're saying, it all, the universal principles beyond the interpretations that we picked up of life, which are always about how we want to see ourselves anyway, the interpretations that we choose over all of them. When you step away from that, it always boils down to the same thing, which is that your life is bigger than just you. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. we all have to surrender to something, even if it's just surrendering to something vague and nebulous, like chaos. Like, all of these words that people use god chaos the universe they're all just placeholder terms for saying okay my understanding based on my you know limited perception because i'm in a fragmented body my limited interpretations because i can't know everything my limited understanding is probably or definitely even definitely not gonna have all the answers and so eventually you have to give your life or put it in the hands of something bigger. Mm -hmm. Like, you just have to trust. Like, you just have to trust. It's really, it's that simple. That is the core lesson I keep learning. It boils down to your capacity to trust. And it's two things. You have to trust yourself to be able to handle whatever happens. So, yeah, we make plans. We have our best understanding. We go out there. We try and make these plans materialize. But along the way, we realize a plan is just a plan. It's that whole thing. The map is not the territory. And so as, as you start following the map, things are going to arise, challenges, obstacles, blah, blah, blah. You have to be able to trust yourself that you're going to be able to handle whatever those things are. And if you've been real, you will be able to handle those things. Because when you've been real, you can kind of navigate the obstacles as they arise. It's the whole Marcus Aurelius thing. What stands in the way becomes the way. And so you are not adding this extra level of resistance. The extra level of resistance is always where you think that you can't trust yourself because you're giving into fear, you're shrinking away, blah, blah, blah. But eventually, once you trust yourself, that is only going to go so far as well. And so you have to trust life and you have to trust that the opportunities are going to arise, which again comes down to your trusting yourself because you have to trust that you're going to be able to spot them. But if you don't have that trust, then you can't let go and let God, or whatever word you want to use, you just end up trying to force life and if you force things, it never works. You never get results. 
because the only reason you would force things is because your ego is telling you that it's figured it all out. And the ego can never figure it all out because the ego is the denial and resistance of and the distortion of reality itself. And so if you are if you want to be real, you have to be able to, you have to take yourself to a place where you can flow, which means eventually, exactly as you've kind of alluded to, you have to transcend your idea of you, who you think you are. Yeah, humility is key. Humility is key. Yeah. You, have to, you have to realize that no one is just this isolated island. You know, we we live in a community yeah. of, of people, and so mm. we're we're largely defined by our interactions with others. And so, you know, yeah. what do we even mean? Yeah. What do you mean? Mean when we say that you know I have this, I have different masks that I put on when I interact with different people, and so mm. and so we have kind of sort of different versions of ourselves or different manifestations, and we, we yeah. present ourselves in different ways, and that kind of all all kind of comes together to form the the one cohesive identity for each of us, and so mm. you, you you once you once you realize that you you know that you're you're just so you're so small you have to kind of just accept something outside yourself. Yeah. Like ultimately it comes down to the idea that we're all fluid. So there are certain core things that don't change. So mm -hmm. we're always real. We always have certain values, like we said. But the way that we express things is contextual. So like you said, yeah, if I, you know, if I go see my parents, I have a different version of me. It's still me. It's still real. Yes. So it's an certain qualities come out in certain situations. If I'm in a, you know, if I was back at work, like if I had a job or something, then, you know, if I'm in the boardroom giving a meeting, again, it's a, a different mask. So certain situations demand that we allow certain qualities about ourselves to arise. But as with anything, there's two ways to do it. You can either do it in a real way or an unreal way. In this case, an unreal way is where the mask that you put on is driven by the agenda that you have set because of your own ego stuff. And your ego stuff is always motivated and prompted by your underlying emotions, shame, guilt, and trauma. So for example, hypothetical example, let's say I'm like a, you know, like a stroppy teenager. I'm angry at the world and loads of shame. I go to see my parents. The mask that I'm going to put on is going to be driven by my agenda to prove that I'm my own person or something like that, right? And so the mask I wear it might be that I'm going to be really sarcastic. I'm going to be sardonic towards my, you know, my parents, or I'm going to try and prove them wrong about certain things and latch on to, you know, mistakes that they're making or whatever. That's unreal because it's about my need to prove myself to myself based on the things I'm trying to hide from. If I go into it with a real mask, well, I'm like, okay, I'm with my parents. I'm accepting reality. So actually, my my parents are getting quite old. And so I know the reality of the situation is they're not going to be around forever. 30 years from now, definitely, there's a very high chance they're not going to be around. So when I go to my parents, I just try and be real. So I am me, but I don't really use bad language in front of my mom, for example. 
like if I was with my friends, I'd be using that language. It's still real. But with my mum, it's kind of a like a respect thing, I guess. I don't know. But like the the context is that I am being real and I'm kind of adapting based on what I know to be real about the other people. But that doesn't make me unreal that I'm adapting or allowing certain things to shine and not others. So what I'm saying is like a lot of the time people think being real or being authentic just means doing whatever the hell you want, whenever you want. But actually I would say that's unreal because you're giving into impulse, you're giving into instinct. You're not analyzing the situation and saying, right, what do I need to allow to shine through now? If that makes makes any sense. And um one thing I want to say, sorry, which kind of related, but kind of not, it's just what you said about being humble is so true. And our humility. And there's a quote by Mike Tyson, which I really love. It's one of the truest things I've ever heard anyone say. And you might have heard it, but he said, uh, man wasn't made to be humble. He was made to be humbled. And I think in terms of what we're saying about like, the ego and purpose and blah, blah, blah. That quote sums up the human condition so marvelously. Like, it's just amazing how he's like said it so succinctly. Because ultimately, we go out there, we've got the best understanding that we have about what life is, who we are within it. But ultimately, as we go out there, it's that thing that I already said, the map is not the territory. A life is going to kind of punch you in the face or whatever. And these big goals, these big visions, these big ideas, they're always going to be brought back down to earth. And in that process of going from up here to down here and being humbled, that's when you find this real stuff that we're talking about. And you get this grounding, you get this solid foundation of being connected to your wholeness. And then you can kind of be fluid in social context in this way we're talking about in a real way. Because actually, if you're not humble like that, that's when the masks you put on from one situation to another are unreal because you're you're not being humble. So you're trying to prove something, you're trying to get something, etc. etc. And so all these things are kind of interrelated. I don't know, that's a long-winded answer, but yeah, that I, makes sense. I, I saw another quote one time. It said, uh, humility is not thinking less of oneself, it is thinking of oneself less. Yes, mm -hmm. perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's important to remember that in order to, to be humble, you, you shouldn't just immediately just think how horrible you are. You need you really just need to change the focus from thinking yourself to thinking of others, to thinking of your goal, to you know whatever that may be. Yeah, 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 it's so true. Like I always think that shy people, they actually they kind of have the biggest egos, <laughs> right? Because a lot of the time, the reason they're holding back, the reason they're hesitating. It's like you just said, they're not being uh, they're not being humble, they're thinking about themselves too much, they're judging themselves, ETC, they're projecting that judgment out into the world, and then it causes them to hesitate and hold back. And actually, you know, we think shy people are like that way. We commonly think that shy people are that way because they're so humble. But actually, it's the opposite of humility. It's thinking you're more important than you actually are. And again, this, it comes back to the reality thing. It comes back to the shopping house stuff, right? Ultimately, we're all going to die one day. 
We're all responsible for our lives. None of us are as important as we think we are. And that is an amazing, beautiful, good thing because it means we're free. Like we might screw up, we might make mistakes, we might say the wrong thing or whatever. A hundred years from now, no one's gonna care. And like even now, you know, I might I might say something really stupid in this, this podcast, but I might say something else really stupid. Like at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because it's all part of the the journey of learning. And so this the key theme for me now, this conversation is what you brought into it. Humility. Humility means you keep learning. And if you keep learning, then you're aligned with reality. Because if you're real, yeah, things keep changing. And so if things keep changing, you have to keep learning. And so if you can understand that, then you don't need to keep beating yourself up. You don't need to keep judging yourself. Mistakes aren't mistakes, all that kind of cliched stuff. It's all just fuel for going deeper into life. And that is the most humble thing you can do. Learn how to be more alive, something like that. Yeah, I suppose one way to look at it would be if, if you put if you put humility on a scale, and then right in the middle would, would be like would be actual humility. Uh, one side would be uh, think of yourself, you know, too highly. Uh, th- mm-hmm. the, the other end would be think of yourself, uh, thinking too little of yourself. You know, like you're, yeah, too, yeah. Whereas right in the right in that middle is uh, where you should yeah. be. I love it. That's the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And I think um, you see this all the time, like with the way that people tend to relate to themselves. So I always think if you're that far end of the scale where you're thinking about yourself too much, you become neurotic. So like you become anxious, you're thinking about yourself all the time, you become shy, you're judging yourself, you're reflecting that judgment out into the world and judging other people. You don't take action, you hesitate, you hold back. Yeah, because you're internalizing everything. But the other end of the spectrum, where it's out of balance, is where instead of turning everything inwards, you're directing everything outwards. And that's when you end up, you know, with a victim mentality or whatever. You're blaming everybody for your problems. You think that, you know, everything's just shit, but it's not your fault. And so you don't actually take actions yourself that are going to change your life. But if you're in that sweet spot you're on about, you realize, okay, you're not more than human. You're not less than human. You're just exactly where you need to be because you're real. And so you're going to take action. You're not going to judge yourself. You're going to be outcome independent, blah, blah, blah. Have an abundance mindset and all these things that allow you to be real. And that's exactly it. When you're humble like that, that's when you get results. And it also, um, in relation to what I was saying a few minutes ago, it allows you to transcend your ideas about yourself and to give yourself to something bigger, whatever that ends up being in the context of your life. God, the universe, a set of values, cause, anything that allows you to transcend yourself. You can't transcend yourself if you're not humble because you think yourself is so important. Yeah, it's very Aristotelian to take uh, you know, the, the virtue in the middle then right between uh, two opposing vices. Is, mm-hmm. you know, one is a... Is, and you know, too much of one thing, the other one is a deficiency of another of a similar quality. Yeah. yeah. But I, I personally think like when we've been real and we walk in this middle path, that we 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 can't not be virtuous. We're not trying to be virtuous for the sake of the ego stuff. 
It's just that a lot of, if you walk the middle path and you're humble, then you're real. And if you're real, that's obviously going to allow you to realize that what's real for you is real for others. So you can be more compassionate, for example, as a virtue. You'll probably be creating things. You'll appreciate things. You'll have gratitude. You, know, you can list a whole bunch of virtues, but probably, I would argue, they all come down to being on that middle path. And when you're out of, you're not on that path, that's when you get into vice, exactly like you just said. What advice would you give to to young people that are, you know, trying to to find that goal, try to find that 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 way towards that towards that stretch zone, you know? Mm. Well, some self shameless self promotion is I have a free course which is exactly for this kind of situation. It's called the seven. It's a long name. The seven day personality transplant system shock. For realness and life purpose. This course is basically designed to help you get awareness of reality in the way we're talking about. So for example, the first module is about death. And when you first death, well, then you can realize your time, energy, and attention are the most valuable things you have. Then you can make the choice for your real values and intentions and start dedicating yourself to those. Um, so I would recommend doing that. But in general, it's it's what you've said. It's finding the sweet spot where you can be humble, but also making sure that in your humility, you learn to listen to yourself first and foremost. And so a lot of young people they end up detaching themselves from their true purpose in the way that we're talking about. The purpose is going to allow them to grow real and to keep expanding and blah, blah, blah. They detach themselves from that because there's a distinction between the world and reality. The world is just a bunch of ideas and concepts. And if you listen to the world in whatever form it takes, your parents, your teachers, the media, you don't listen to your own guidance. And... The reason humility is important there is because other people's advice can serve you, even though a lot of advice is just projection. They're telling you how they think the world should be. But ultimately, you have to get to the point where you can listen to other people, you can listen to other views, but then you allow it to strengthen your relationship with yourself so you can take the actions that make the most sense Obviously, you might be wrong, but that's fine. If you take an action, you're always going to learn something, like we said, if you've been humble. And in that learning, it's going to allow you to keep pivoting, basically, so you get where you need to be. So my advice to younger people is to be real with yourself, obviously. To do take the action that makes sense, even if other people tell you not to do it but to make sure that you've been humble in the pursuit of whatever that is. And that as you go about it, you don't let the things that go against the plan send you into ego, but you allow them to make you more real, if that makes sense. So the obstacles are not shaking you from yourself. So ultimately, it's very cliched, simple advice. 
listen to yourself, but make sure that when you do listen to yourself, you actually act on it. And it's not just talk because if you're just talking, that's how you end up on these other ends of the spectrum where you go for vice instead of virtue and you just end up having a terrible time. Very good. Uh, are there any final remarks that you'd like to make or? Uh, no, I just, I thank you for, uh, no, I think I've, I've said quite a lot of stuff and I mentioned the personality transplant. I think that's the main thing that's going to help people that are listening to this, if they're into this kind of thing. Um, my website, if you, if you want to know is Ollie Anderson, O-L-I Anderson.co.uk. And, uh, just thank you, I guess, Chris, for letting me come on here and asking me these questions. Okay. Anywhere, anywhere that people can go to find you, your, your podcast, your books, your... Uh, well, yeah, I do have a podcast. It's called Creative Status. It's ultimately about all this stuff. It's about how the creative process is a vehicle for growing more real in the way that we're talking about. So ultimately, getting in touch with ourselves so we can have a real relationship with life. We can transcend ourselves in the way we're talking about make the unconscious conscious and ensure that we're on that middle path of uh, humility. So yeah, creative status, my book, my main book is called personal revolutions, short calls and realness. Um, to be honest, if you just go to my website, ollieanderson.co.uk, the homepage is just, um, it's got a, a big list of all the free resources and stuff like that. that I've got. So that's probably a good starting point. Could you briefly touch on the idea of, of creativity as a, as a path to that realness? Yeah, so the short version of that is it goes down to, it goes back to what we we're saying about the ego versus reality. The creative process, and I'm trying to find a short way to say it. The creative process. You can take as much time as you want. Yeah. Okay. The creative process is ultimately the process of making the unconscious conscious. So, you know, I've talked a lot in this conversation about wholeness and fragmentation. I believe that we all have a drive towards wholeness. It's the natural state of all systems and we're systems. Systems try and reach a state of homeostasis and balance. And the way that we do that as human beings is we go deeper into connection, wholeness with ourselves, the world and reality. In relation to ourselves, wholeness simply just means that we're allowing these parts of ourselves that we might have disowned to come to the surface so we can integrate them and we become more complete. We feel a greater sense of completion in ourselves, which allows us to connect more deeply to other people and then to life itself. The creative process is a vehicle for that because as we allow, as we go through the process of creating things, we're going to face ourselves. So for example, when we create, sometimes you might just be painting a pretty picture or something. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you're getting that stretch zone that we're on about, the comfort zone, the stretch zone, and the panic zone. True creativity puts you in the stretch zone and it puts you in a place of flow. But as you're creating things, you're going to learn about yourself. You're going to learn how to navigate uncertainty. You're going to learn how to take these ideas that you've got and to make them materialize in reality. And as you do that, it's ultimately a kind of dance between you and life. Nothing that we create is created in isolation. Like, if I write a book or something, yeah, I'm the one doing the typing, 
but like it's going to be inspired by all these things that are going on in my life and stuff like that. If I wrote something one day, it's going to have slight variations if I wrote in the following day, purely because of what's going on inside me. And that, and allowing that to happen in the way it needs to, means facing my unconscious stuff, letting it come to the surface. It's always trying to get out. We just block it with the ego. And so the abridged version of this ramble is that if you have writer's block or something like that, or if you keep judging your work, then it's your ego stopping the creative stuff coming to the surface. And so by understanding that, you can make yourself more creative, but actually what you're doing, you're just tuning into your natural state of creativity, which is just our way of psychologically, I would say, synthesizing everything so that we can move to that state of wholeness or completion. I don't know if that was even a good answer because it was very rambling, but does that, that answer the question? That was great, yeah. Um, I think that's a good place to, to end. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, this has been Oli Anderson. I'm the host of this right on Point Counterpoint, a Counterpoint Media Production. Thank you.